Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and I am the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and today's tip of the week is our is all about our continuing series that is focused on unconscious bias. So as you might know, everybody has some type of an unconscious bias, and it's important that we all acknowledge that. And there are things that we can do to make sure that we're more aware of our words and the impact it has on others around us. So we also want to acknowledge um, Built-In as the provider of these tips. Thank you so much. And today's tip is focused on height. And I am a short person, so this is significant for me. And if you're a very tall person, you will also identify with this. So height bias is the tendency to judge a person who is significantly short or tall. I am 5'2". This may seem a little bit far-fetched, but one study found that one's annual earnings can increase up to 13% with an additional centimeter in height. Another study found that tall candidates are perceived as more competent, employable, healthy, and it explains why about 58% of male CEOs at companies are over six feet tall. So how do we avoid unconscious bias about height? Well, we can conduct anonymous interviews, phone interviews, or video interviews to reduce susceptibility to judge a person's ability to do their work based on their height. And we also want to make sure that we're knowing that this bias is a common social behavior and it will help you identify your own bias against candidates. So we want to welcome you to the Interim Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work. And today's guest is Roger Hunt, the founder of IdeaTrek. He's founder of several other companies. He is an experienced software developer, leader, author, speaker, and investor. And I want to thank you, Roger, for appearing on the Interim Whisperer. Hi, so this is the Interim Whisper, and today's guest is Roger Hunt. I've met this gentleman, I don't know, it was like about, I'd say maybe five months ago, and it was through Prepare for VC, always a good group to hang out with. And the things that um, Roger's really well known for, he's going to be sharing that on the show. So welcome to the show, Roger. Hey, thank you so much, Isabel. This is fantastic. I'm very excited about this interview. Me too. So one of the things, in case you haven't uh, had a chance to listen to our show, is we always kick off the show with five words that you would say describe who you are when somebody is first meeting you. So what do you think those five words are? I know that we talked about it a little bit offline before we got started, and you had said open, but I don't know if that's the word that you want to open with. I was using it because it's like open with. No, I like I I think I like open. Open is um I I I I meant it in the sense of um uh, anybody, and I don't want to downplay the fact that we interacted so quickly, but I <laughs> I didn't. Anybody's welcome to walk through uh you know my proverbial door and say hello, and um I'll I'll give I'll give you the time of day. <laughs> oh, nice. and, and 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 much more. Um, I I I don't do background. I don't I don't, I don't do background research on folks. Gotcha. Doctor, and decide if uh, if we're gonna do it. And I um. So I what you're saying that. is that um, how you meet people when they just drop into your life. That's like you're just evaluating at that moment. It's very organic. You know, and I, I love that you t- you 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 went that way with it because it actually clarifies what I think I meant by this is when I meet somebody, it's about finding finding what I can do with them rather than determining if I should do anything. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Yeah, yeah, it's back to the old ways of how we would meet people <laughs> at events, or right, you know, it's just like people on the street and you have conversations. It's not related to everything that had to be social. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's trying to, 
I, I never really pictured it in terms of going, going, uh, you know, the back with the old ways. But I think that's that's where. Although you know, the old ways were weren't so much open in that sense. It was who do you know, and yeah. and how can we band together and defeat <laughs> and 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 defend our territory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd want to, yeah. Maybe maybe it may be a new version of openness uh, in that in that context. I would say that would be true. Um, <laughs> something else you said is trusting. Trusting, yeah, and I think that falls out of the openness one. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, uh, and this is just something that I I tend to practice. Is um, I don't I don't know if I practice it intentionally, but it's just I get really excited whenever I meet somebody new. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I always want to like, like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then coming up with some project for us to do. And I'll always give, you know, the kind of absolute benefit of the doubt to it. So I'll be like, okay, great. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. I'm going to give you this. You're going to give me that. And then I will um, I'll kind of go all in with what I said I'm going to do, you know, kind of absolutely expecting that that'll be reciprocated with them doing what they, what they said they're going to do um rather than so so i don't sign a lot of ndas gotcha gotcha yeah you're like here's all the secrets what do you want to do with it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's uh, an nda is only as good as you have the money to back it up right <laughs> so you know then it becomes well this is a a gentleman's agreement, right? Or just a, a person's agreement, a business person's agreement, right? If we're going to stay yeah. gender neutral there. Well, and you know, I think it's, um, there's so much going the other way and with so much information out there, you can almost, you can almost spend your whole day just trying to figure out before you've even met someone, whether you should be doing some work with them or not. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood of that working out, and this is actually a theme that will probably come up a bunch of times. The likelihood of anything working out is just so low mm. <laughs> that, that it almost becomes like, you know, you, like I'll often tell people when it comes to um, like building apps or something, it's like, look, you could make the most beautiful application in the world and, It'll still it still has a point zero one chance of succeeding. Of succeeding. You could also make the ugliest app in the world. It took you five minutes, and you know it could become the biggest thing. So there's almost uh, you know what's the point of doing all of that background research to nudge up maybe a percentage or point or two in the likelihood of it succeeding when you could just try it, just just try something with somebody. So um, so. I think that's a good way of thinking the openness and trusting concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way that you're explaining that because um, again, (laughs) old ways of doing things uh, it's always about being able to say, okay, let's sit down and think about how we could do something together. And that's where that ideation comes from. Right. And then you have to go try it. Um, Not everybody always wants to do it. Some people like to be super, super planned out, which, you know, that's a good thing too. It you know result you know, make sure you don't have a lot of error. There's space for planning once you've kind of come up with what you're going to do. You certainly want to be. You don't want to go build a bridge and just kind of wing it. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea to build a bridge, right? Like, oh, hey, we're going to build a bridge over this, right? You can sit there and do a hundred different models and test them, you know, and test them. The question of are we going to build a bridge or are we just going to forge the river? Um, mm-hmm. You know that one just jump into one and and then and then after that okay now we've committed to doing this one let's figure out how to how to get it done that's where you that's where you need to you need to plan right um, and i think actually the the trying to figure it all out before you've gotten started comes down to just uh, you know uh, fear <laughs> for lack of i i don't i don't know that it's um so uh, um, wise or intentional, I think it's just a way to allay fear, or in a more structural sense, to um, to satisfy uh, a, a, an insurance policy. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Maybe it could be. <laughs>
So your your third word was cantankerous. Okay, now that is a complete 180 in my mind. We go from open and trusting to cantankerous. Why did we go into that direction? Yeah, if we were to ever get into a disagreement <laughs> over some issue, um, I I would um, I would uh, argue my point to the I would argue my position to the point of. Uh, <laughs> Sullenness. <laughs> okay, I and, see. And and and, and uh, cantankerously, <laughs> um, um, to hold the grudge uh, until, until the cows come home. So, so you you said five words that describe you. I don't think you said five positive words. So that that would be one of my one of my. You know, I like your honesty. I, I think that that's a good thing. I think that many times people always paint this picture of themselves and it doesn't include the honesty. With every single person, there's wonderful things, but then there's also things that are like, uh, do I have to deal with that? But that's in no. each one of us. What's the, and I, I hope none of your, well, I don't want to, uh, maybe my, some of your guests have said this before, but the person who to that answer says honesty, immediately distrusting of them. Mm. <laughs> I'm very honest. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. So then you have to analyze it. Now, now I'm going to get cantankerous. Right? Uh, uh, you, <laughs> you've never told a lie, never once. Now you're going to call yourself honest. Well, oh my gosh, what does that say about the rest of you? So you go in <laughs> circles and circles around. So intense. Why did you pick intense? Uh, similar to the cantankerous vein, these are somewhat related. Now I'm thinking about it, but they they draw on different aspects of it. Is um, you know, you know, when you have a, uh, a cup of, like, you just have a cup of coffee and then you sit down to like write something or do some project and like, you got about 30 minutes of like really good focus on it mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like in the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I chase that, uh, in a sense. And when I really get into things, um, you know, it's it's like I just had a, a pot of coffee that just sho- shoves me shoves me right into it, and that'll last. You know, well, it lasts. You know what? It lasts. It lasts as long as the, uh, my my sort of um, approach to it is reciprocated by the people that I'm working <laughs> with. Um, so you know, like I'll just. I think when uh, the first project that I had sort of brought with us doing was that um, the, the, the Wix training thing. And when I first got, you know, when I was first doing it, I was like immediately making a website and immediately organizing the entire structure of it all and how it's going to be and where everybody's going to fit into it. And um, luckily I've gotten a lot of reciprocation from folks who've, you know, uh, either brought students in or, um, you know, they're doing other kind of business. And I've just could been kind of like honed, among all the other things that I'm doing, like just really intensely whenever I get into working on that and, and any of the other projects that I've got going, I just kind of, and then we end up in a meeting about it and people are like, Whoa, buddy, <laughs> Whoa, buddy chill out. <laughs> and I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what? what's really funny is your last word. It seems to bring balance to both all four of these words. And it shows, you know, the, really what people would say are the positive sides and then the sides that are challenges, right? But I think all of them, when you put it together, is your fifth word, which was governed. I think that somebody that's governed is weighing both sides of the equation. So you, uh, when we were just briefly talking, so we we were just briefly, you, you had mentioned, well, you're a dad and you're a family man and you know, you've got all like all the stuff that you've got to do. And I was trying to think of the right way to put that. It isn't like, oh, I'm a dad and I'm so happy to, you know, like the, the sort of standard, um, oh, I love my family and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a sort of other shade to that, which is like, oh, I can't go out and do whatever I want anymore. <laughs> right. Because you have other people that you're responsible yeah, for and to. Right, precisely. And so what's the right word to sort of just uh, explore that? And it comes up on the business side, too. Um, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, when you, I think when you start companies and you have investors, you, you start to realize you, you're sort of always looking for the way, okay, when can I get out from under these people? Mm. <laughs> when can I be free? Um, 
but you know, even when you do, you still are. And so I think um, governed has the, has both positive and negative shades to it. And, and I think that captures not only the, the family's aspects of it, but also the way that shows up in business. Um, so yeah, yeah governed. I'm, I, 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 now have I always been governed? Certainly some people would say no, but I, that I could present a case that even in my less governed time of my life, I was still somewhat governed. Interesting. I got to think about that more. I'm now, see, I'm going to have like a whole session after this where I start writing about that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a really good name of a book too. But here's the thing. When somebody is first meeting anybody, right, they only, it's kind of like uh, the balance sheet of a company, right? You only have a snapshot of it at that point in time. So it's the same here. This is just a, a snapshot. If, so you had said that some people would say no. And I went, well, but they're only seeing you at that one moment. That's just a picture. That doesn't mean that they've seen, had all of the experiences they could have with you. So that wouldn't be a fair assessment of anybody to say one meeting says, oh, they're like this. No, you don't know me. Right? I, yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Uh, you know, what, what, and I, this, this might come up later too, um, but you know, what other, how important is it? What other, what other people think generally and um, some, some sort of important, it's sort of not important. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your career story. How did you get started? And then let's talk about Idea Track. Sure. Trek. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Like Star Trek. <laughs> Idea Track. Like Star Trek, which I did not realize until literally right now. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> Originally, I, so when we came up with the name, I wanted it to be called Dea Quest, like chasing after gods. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> um, and uh, and then somebody else wanted to do idea trick. I was like, all right, fine. So I kind of caved on that one. It was better, and they had a better logo. Uh, so um, so we went with that. But a friend and I started a a little startup, and we went out and raised some money. And you know, the rest is kind of history. Um, so uh, that was my there's my journey. <laughs> so what is idea trick? Let's talk about that now. <laughs> So um, Idea Trek uh, was originally a holding company where my friend and I placed uh, our, it was kind of like we treated it almost like a trust. It was holding, it was owned the company that we had started. And because we were part owners of the LLC, we were then part owners of the, the equity in that company. Um, and then uh and the plan was that, you know, as we were building that company out, we were then going to go to acquire equity and in, in a whole lot of other startups. And we wanted to have this nice portfolio of companies and just working. And this kind of goes by working with founders, right? And, you know, if, when you're an investor in a company or you own some equity in a company and you're not necessarily a, um, uh, you don't necessarily have like, a, you don't have KPI for the company or anything like that you function many ways like a therapist kind of would. So um, I sort of, I like to say like, you know, I wanted to be a therapist to, um, to founders. And then I started this little scrappy, you know, company to own equity in other businesses so that I could be a therapist to founder, which from a therapeutic perspective is a terrible idea because you have all this leverage over the. <laughs> It, it, it comes down. So if you're going to have an investor sort of play that mentor, that uh, therapeutic, that guidance, that advisory role, um, it, it is it is lopsided because of the power dynamic between you and the founder. So it's a really difficult thing to maintain. It actually comes down to the um, sort of moral character of the investor that, that ends up determining the the, the quality and structure of the relationship. And so if you have, you know, um, investors out there who are, you know, haven't thought through some of this stuff or don't care to think through some of this stuff, you can end up with, you know, a really, really unfortunate ending. Um, and so, uh, so, 
Whereas I, so, you know, we, we went through that process. We were talking to all these founders. We were bringing equity under the uh, umbrella. Um, and, uh, you know, it's gone through ups and downs, crazies in and outs, people coming, going, projects coming and going. It's, you know, it's just kind of the way that that whole thing uh, evolves. And I am still doing it today. So. It sounds like you like it, though. Doing it for long enough and committed to it and not going anywhere. and I can't think of a better place better place to be. I'm a very happy person. Not to make other people upset at not being happy people, but yeah, I get to own this one, so I'm happy. Screw you. That's good. That's good. Not you, Isabella. You're wonderful. But anybody oh, who's you. mad at me for being happy, screw you. Well, it sounds like what you're doing is um we'll we'll put it as more of a being a responsible partner because you had previously said that, you know, obviously in venture it could be you're deciding a fate of of a company and it, it cannot always be the way that maybe the founder wanted it to go. But it sounds like you're being more thoughtful about that approach. For good and bad reasons, maybe that goes back to our uh, our the five um, words. Our words governed <laughs> maybe the intensity of it, right? Um, uh, or, or even the cantankerousness, because mm-hmm. it's like you know, I, I cantankerous. I'm, I'm not satisfied. Is is how how I feel that word. I wonder what the dictionary definition of that. Is. I always use cantankerous just because I like the sound of it. Um, it's a very strong word, right? <laughs> it's a very strong, powerful word. And I think it ha- I think, you know, it can be, you know, not satisfied with argumentative, uncooperative. Yeah, of course you can't, but I think the argumentativeness and the uncooperative comes from and bad temperedness. That's what it gives me. It gives me bad tempered, argumentative, uncooperative comes from a not being satisfied with something. And so, you know, when you don't have what you want. Here's Lacan. All right. So if, if if you don't have what you want, um, all sorts of things come out of uh, your reactions to not getting what you want. And, you know, how you react to not getting what you want is, is pretty important. So I, I am cantanker. I think a lot of times we see investors as passive, laid back. Mm-hmm. They are, or they are not laid back, but they are, um, their role is to maybe, um, Here's here's here. Here I am going to go against the concept of balance. Their role is to balance a portfolio, or or their role is to structure a portfolio, or their role is to um, distribute risk across the portfolio uh, in a way that protects the fund, um, and that puts them in the position of um, a kind of a manager uh, with, and a manager almost by definition lacks responsibility like their job is to simply like manage things and keep things moving they're not ultimately responsible for what happens they're just sort of there as a necessary function of of the process um and i think that's the role that they typically play and i think it's the way investors really want to play it they want to be out playing golf while somebody else you know does the books and somebody else does all the work and they're just there to collect some of the winnings at the end of the day if it works out they're they're gamblers uh in, in a sense and um i think that they want it to be like passive income it's making them money while they're sleeping and doing all of their fun stuff and that concept generally irritates me <laughs> yeah <laughs> that concept whenever anybody's oh i've got a passive income opportunity i'm like well, I don't want that. <laughs> Get out of here. I don't want your passive income opportunity. I want to go do something. Like, let's, let's make something happen. And I think, and, and so, you know, oh, oh, moving on just from the, the character of it, okay, okay, maybe there's a lot of gamblers in, in, in the investment world, and maybe there's a lot of people who just want to sit back and get passive income. And, you know, we can criticize them personally for, you know, that, those aspects of their character and, and who they are and the function that they're playing there. But structurally, it's deteriorative. So um, when you have a group of people in that role acting in that way, it, in my view, um, 
and as I would argue and do argue in this little book that we just did, um, that that is like the kind of the reason things aren't the way that they should be right now. And I realize that is a big <laughs> statement, to make, yeah. a big odd statement to make. Um, but I, I, I place, so if any, I think we should be upset at where we are right now, given what's happened the last 20 years and the opportunities that we had. Um, and, uh, so, okay. If we should, if we should be upset about, if you agree that we should be upset about that, I'm not, I'm not putting on the spot to agree or disagree with that. I'm just saying this is normal. This is the way I, I have it. But if you agree with that, then we have to find, okay, well, what went wrong? And so I place the, what went wrong on, on the investor community, not the founder community, not, well, the investors in the service providers who actually are kind of investors in a similar strain. Um, but so sort of um, that what we might otherwise call the expert class um, is a, it's a failure uh, on their end. Now, of course, when you listen to the expert class or the people who are in power, they're throwing blame everywhere except towards themselves. <laughs> oh, it's market dynamics. Oh, it's global economy. Oh, it's, you know, the like how labor is changing. Oh, how the workplace is changing. Oh, you know, um, people aren't as educated as they should be, or um, workers have the wrong ad every everywhere but themselves, right? And I think, and I think that that um, it exactly lies with them. And so, if you have responsibility on that, and well, you know, what is it going to look like to adjust it? And so, that's what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about recently: is what would it look like to to adjust that? How might we do it? And then trying to convince other people that I'm right, so that. <laughs> so that we can actually enact my plans. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that would view that as a being more engaged in the process of of supporting a company because if you're giving your money, uh, let's go to a bank or uh parents, they give us money and they say, "Okay, I want you to be responsible with it." We should be able to go back to that entity or person that invested in us and say, Hey, I'm having these problems. You know, what do you think I should do? Because if we're not afraid of going to that person and seeing them as um, more of a, a source of wisdom, maybe a partner, then they should be able to offer some suggestions to keep that company moving forward instead of saying, Oh, well, you're not the right person to run this company. That does, that's not helpful. Yeah, well, and um, so I, I, I would, I would even okay. Here, we, here here's a little. Uh, um, I would, I would phrase it more as um, not so much going to them as an advisor or for help with my specific company. Um, I don't think the solution is so much. Oh, not necessarily that they should be more more engaged on a day-to-day -day basis what uh -huh. i what i'm getting at and i i, I realized i didn't um, make it totally clear when i was saying before but it, um, structurally they have to be more um they have to be on the hook more so um one way that i i, I like to put it is um the investor is very very good at um, avoiding risk, which mm -hmm. sounds weird because they're taking all these risks and they're making all these gambles, but they're also hedging every single one of those risks and gambles. In startup world, it looks like, well, I'm going to invest in a hundred companies and I just need one of those companies to succeed to make up for all the failure, failed companies right. that, that I had, right? Um, so in that way, their structuring of the portfolio is designed for them to benefit one of the founders to benefit and the other 99 to, to fail and, 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 you know, go nowhere. So um, wh what I, what I think needs to happen is the, the, so the investors basically like gotten rid of risk, right? They've de and this is something that they'll, that you'll hear people talk about is like, you know, we don't have any risk on it. We, we have risk on in individual investments, but we don't have risk across the portfolio. We're a safe investment so to speak. Okay. Um, at the same time. And so now, and so then they say, then what do they say? Oh, well now we can innovate like crazy, right? We can do all this amazing innovation because 
all the risk that used to be you know inherent in trying to innovate and trying to move things forward is gone right so now we're going to have a much better world because it's we have we solved the risk problem um and we can you know, which means we can take on more you know risky future projects which is going to get us into a better future okay like that's that's the line of uh, from from the investor and i think that's just patently wrong um uh and it's wrong because um they have not uh this is a this goes like the physics they have they have not eliminated risk from the system they've actually just moved the risk somewhere else <laughs> uh particularly they've moved it onto the founders of the companies that fail <laughs> so so um you know if you start a company and you succeed yay wonderful you get all the riches but if you lose you don't only lose your company you lose like all the money <laughs> you lose your entire career because you quit it to go and start this company you lose you know probably a lot of friends and even some family in the process who are mad at you for losing money. uh you lose a lot right and so you know when it comes to um and and and, and uh just take it one step further and then what did we gain out of it well the company that typically succeeds um, is the one that had simplest business model um, goes for the money as quickly as possible, gets all the money back and then everything else drives up for the rest. And what are those, what has that looked like? Well, advertising company, it's the fastest way to get money is affiliate refer <laughs> affiliate bonuses, right? And what's an advertisement? Hey, go buy this thing. I Maybe I took some money up front because you paid me to the advertisement, or maybe I'm just getting money as a cut of each of the things. It's the quickest way to get a dollar out of anything. Um, and so, you know, what are the companies that have succeeded companies that make an affiliate fee off of garbage being distributed <laughs> to, mm. to the same people who for two or three dollars to the same people who now have no place to work because they gave up their career trying to start a, start a business. So, and the, here's the hellscape that I think we live in. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to take a moment just to acknowledge our sponsor, Transcend Network, and we will be right back. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for edtech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And so we're back to the second half of our show and it really isn't, it, it flies by Roger. It just always flies by. Um, and so we are going to be talking about your book. What is it that you're working on? Let's talk about that. And how do you see it working into the future of 2030? If possible, I don't know. Sure. Uh, awesome. Yeah. And so I, I actually, I kind of went through parts of it just <laughs> in an organic exploration um, but I can try to do it in a more structured way here. So uh, the book that is coming out is called Innovation Ethics, Reframing the Investor Thesis. Okay. <laughs> Every, everything that I just kind of... Say it again. <laughs> it's Innovation Framework. Innovation Ethics. Ethics. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then the subtitle is Reframing the Investor Thesis. I love it. Okay. Um, and... It's really everything. Everything I was just talking about. So you know, we start off with, look, um, what the, where we thought we were going to be twenty years ago is absolutely not where we have ended up. Um, and you know, why was that? What are we doing about it? Is that working? What else should we be doing? You know, if not, what what should we be doing about it instead? And you know, what's the path forward? So um, the sections of the book are, are set up to uh, make that case that we aren't where we should be. Um, and I think um, a lot of that is that, like, look, uh, all of the companies that are, you know, extremely popular and awesome right now, or that, I'm sorry, they're not awesome, but are highly valuable right now, um, all got that way by essentially being affiliate marketing companies. Google is an affiliate marketing company. You give them some money and they promote your thing. And if you make money off of that, you keep giving them more ads. Facebook 
same structure, Snapchat, same structure. Snapchat's not as valuable anymore right now, but um, uh, everything that now, and, and there are some other things, you know, some good work going on in EVs, um, but those are all getting crushed. I mean, I, I, they were puffed up for a while there, but they're all getting crushed now. And who knows really what the future of that's going to be. Um, there is, uh, there's some interesting things going on in material sciences. Um, I'm very, very, uh, I'm not anti-medicine or anti-science or anti-establishment necessary in that sense, but I think big pharma is just a, a, a con game <laughs> that, uh, that is just sucking a lot of money out of what could otherwise be really, um, put towards uh, developing really great things and and i i, I guess yeah, i'm not anti-medicine but just the way that we invest in medical technology i think it's just absolute nonsense um i, don't I agree with lot. you yeah i think uh, i think a lot of people do unless they're from kenmore square and so i get into our <laughs> they're like we're saving lives we're saving lives i'm like I, some lives i know but like what's what else could we be doing with that money compared to what's what it's all going into right now? Oh, it's very expensive to, you know, figure out these new treatments and run all these trials and make sure that things are going to work. I'm like, I know, I understand, but at the same time, like, how much time are we adding to people's lives here? And there are some cases where, like, you're you are saving, you know, somebody would might have died in their 30s, but now they get to live into their 60s. Fantastic, we want that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to walk myself into a really bad setup here. I, so I have some cantankerous views on that, that maybe not everybody should, should hold. And I'm not the best person to, to criticize big pharma out there, but for um, the content that's out there that I read that does, I do, I do find it compelling at least to think about it. And I don't want, I shouldn't be singling them out because there's, I think the advertise, I think the um, Shoshana Zuboff's work on, uh, on Google and um, surveillance capitalism is actually far more destructive than um, than anything that's going on in big pharma. But I just it's a crotch in my it's a crotch you know, in my the job. Bigger, the bigger a company gets, the less personal it can become. And I'm going to go with Google as a matter of fact because I used to be able to call Google or contact Google if I had a problem with my anything in my Gmail right or my drive or anything accounts and they went from having live support to um chat live chat and now you you can't even hardly get that i mean it's really hard the same applies for facebook for um AWS, well, no, AWS will outsource to other countries, but um, YouTube, YouTube and Facebook, you can't contact a human. There's no way to get a human. I have tried so hard when I've had problems and it's uh, just the innovation of people that when I talk with people, do you know how to fix this problem? And, you know, it's like, maybe I went through a hundred people, but I finally found somebody where I couldn't get to a live person there. I think it's the same with uh, Google. It's the same with, you know, just any of these companies as they continue. I don't know what happened to the monopolies, but it seems like they are. I was just going to say, even when you get to a human, it's like, you're not really talking to a human. (laughs) You don't know. It could be a reading. chatbot now. Well, no, no. Even you know. All right. So you know you have a human, right? You got their name, and then and maybe you had a little chat with them. But then when you get into the troubleshooting, they're just reading off a list. I mean, a computer could just as easily do it. And then when you get to any point in the conversation where like they can't go beyond that list, then it's over. I mean, yeah, because it's not <laughs> they just can't beat you in submission. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so, so I was just say, even when you get a human, you don't really have a human. You have somebody who's executing a specific set of instructions, um, uh, and with a specific goal in mind, which is to get you off the phone and make it difficult for you to cancel your subscription. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I mean, yeah, even. And not to, not to d- demean anybody that works in that that part of the world, but they know it. They'll. I've got a friend who does this. I won't say what company they work at, um, but um, that's what it. That's what it is. And uh, they're just they're processing these requests as, as quickly as possible. Um, and you know, I I should say, you know, um, you know, we don't have the world we had expected 20 years ago and then you might say well like what kind of world did we expect to have 
Um, and, you know, the classic one is like, oh, we should have flying cars by now. Or, oh, we should have, you know, we should be living forever. Or, oh. Um, um, Who wants to? Yeah, that, there's that too. I know that was probably, that was the can of worms I probably shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time for that one. We could do that another day. I do want to uh, go back to your book, though. I do want to go back. When oh, is yeah, book, yeah, when is this book going to be released? Okay, so it's it should be coming out like any day now. So the final proofs went back. It's signed off and and on the on the publisher's website, being uh, published by uh, Ethics International Press, um, and uh, um, it's it's uh, it should be any day that you know I at least get my copies. <laughs> and well, then I think I think it's pre order right now on on the website, but that should that should that switch should flip any day. Um, so, so it starts with, you know, just sort of like out, outlining that. And then, um, and then it, so I sort of lay the blame, uh, on, um, so, okay. Okay. So, so we're not where we thought we were going to be 20 years from now. Okay. Well, why is that? And I put a lot of the responsive, the moral responsibility on the investors back. Um, and so then the solutions that I ultimately come up with are, you know, how should investors adjust? And so um, I put the more responsibility onto the investors and then um, uh, try to explain like uh, sort of like I was just doing, they, they've, they've figured out risk distribution across a portfolio and imagine that they have eliminated this risk when in fact they've just sort of pushed it somewhere else. And because it's got been pushed somewhere else, it's creating all these other problems. Um, so, you know, what can investors do to, um, fix the problem? And in order to figure that out, we have to go a little bit deeper into the problem. And so I spent a lot of time criticizing, uh, disruption theory, um, which, uh, if anybody ever heard the, the Facebook, you know, move fast and break stuff, um, that yep. is a sort of mantra for, um, uh, disruption theory, which is which is actually quite old, um, uh, you know, early '90s. It gets really formulated by Clayton Christensen. Um, there's a wonderful, um, uh, well, in any event, so so he 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 talks about. Um, I'll go back just a a little a little further. So, um, innovation in its modern uh, concept is um, just everybody, it's this idea of like new things, like you've created a new process, you've created a new product, you've created a new something. And, you know, innovation is really important to markets and an economy because you need to be stimulating growth. And how do you get growth? Well, you create like new sorts of things that people can then consume, which will then continue to perpetuate growth. And then, uh, and great. Okay, so we've got this concept of innovation. It's an economic concept. Um, you know, early late twenties, early thirties. Joseph Schumpeter. Um, so that goes through a, a process for a while, and in the nineteen fifties, it kind of hits its pinnacle, um, and we get this you know, golden world, the golden era, um, uh, and where you know all this new stuff's coming out all the time. We have innovation left and right. Um, Interestingly, we have the government highly invested <laughs> in a lot of these innovations. Um, they're putting up a lot of the money to make this stuff happen, and the world is changing blink of an eye uh, throughout this period. So then we get to you know, the 70s and into the 80s and the 90s, and everybody starts now to talk about uh, computers are getting really big. And what's the shocking thing about a computer is, well, we don't need an army of calculators anymore. We just need somebody to push a couple buttons on the computer and we've got all the numbers that we need out of it. It's way more efficient. Okay. So, uh, and we can optimize things. So 70s, 80s, and 90s, we get into this whole, we've got to optimize everything. And if we optimize everything, then we can have more room for more new stuff so that we can then continue to grow. So disruption theory comes along as a theory of innovation that talks about how does optimizing an existing structure create a new market? And then what can we do with those new markets? Um, and without going too just deep into it, this just like takes over. So now everybody's out there trying to look for problems and issues going on in operations and 
product development, and so you're trying to find ways to optimize and make these things more efficient um, so that you can hopefully then create a, a new market, a open space for new markets. Um, takes off, goes like crazy. Okay, what and what happens? Um, all this money starts pouring into uh, technology stocks and innovation stocks at the end of the 90s. You know, the whole thing blows up, right? Whole thing blows up. And there is this um, meeting. I'm not going to boil it down to this one meeting, but there is this story of this meeting in Google when the, you know, the market crashes. Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to continue doing our vision for search or are we going to adjust? They adjust to an advertising style model because what's that going, because it's the quickest way to get money out of it. Um, you know, crash is over. Google explodes. Everybody follows suit and goes into it. So you have this efficiency structure, this disruption theory of people going in and making all these things more optimized and efficient, which then creates, you know, this massive bubble, which bursts for any number of reasons. Um, and then you have this company emerging out of it with this advertising model, which now everybody follows suit. The epitome advertising is like the, the golden egg for optimization, right? Like it, it's pure advertising is pure optimization. How can I take this dollar and turn it into more dollars? Um, well, you have to advertise your product and you have to get better, better, better at targeting your audiences in order to turn that, that, that $1 into $4. Okay. <laughs> Rant yeah, over. Really, no, no, no. You're, you're really, really interesting. I'm assuming a lot of this might be found in your book, which is going to be a, I think would be a bestseller because first <laughs> off you, you opened with this whole destruction theory. And I don't think that many people honestly may know that unless they've gone through courses in economics, you know, somewhere in there, you know, that sounds like that's where it usually falls because I've gone to through an MBA program and I don't remember hearing this. And so for me, it's fascinating. I really like this information that you're sharing here because it's nothing um, that we had thought about. And when you had mentioned that, you know, um, Zuckerberg had, had used that as the, you know, work fast, break things. That's true. And that was like summing it up in super simple terms. Like, you know, a three-year-old could understand that, like go through the room, break stuff. They're going to get it, <laughs> you know, right. We get that. But I, I had no idea about all of this and it's very, very fascinating. I think that your book will do very well. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how much how much it will actually do. I'll tell you, it is it is targeted. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll skip quickly to the end of this. So I I, I just destroy disruption theory <laughs> as yeah. as as not not just on the face of like its results, but its structure. I think the concept of optimization. So two things I'll just say quickly: innovation is not optimization, and so when we get into that 70s and 80s period where people are trying to optimize down in order to create new markets, they stopped innovating. So innovation literally, quite literally stopped at that point and we started optimizing. But what happened, people started using the word innovation to refer to optimization. And we're stuck with that right now. Oh, you have to innovate. Oh, what does that mean? We got to be more efficient. No, it does not. That is not what that means. No, that is that's not innovation is different than optimization is different than efficiency. Okay, those are these are different concepts. They have been merged. Um, it has almost been a religion formed around that merging. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I call it the idolization of innovation. If you are bowing to innovation, then you are not innovating because the whole point of innovation is not to bow to old things. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> supposed to be about risk, having some <laughs> kind of risk. I applied to the National Science Foundation for um, just with a, I didn't apply. I actually submitted an, an executive summary for feedback. And what they wrote is they said, well, this isn't really innovation. What you have done is you've prepared something that actually is, um, you know, it's, it's enhanced enhancing it's optimizing what's already out there those are the key words so i think that what you're you're aligning with is exactly is it really innovation and people you're right they throw that word out there like it's supposed to be well it's the buzzword and so now people use it without having a real clear definition of what does that word mean all you need to do is say it and you are it which is which is what i mean by the kind i mean that it couldn't be more 
um, not to downplay any religious text or anything, but it could not be more the word of you know, the word. <laughs> the word at the at the be at the beginning there was the word right so if yeah. I say it's innovation then then it is innovation uh, so anyways and I don't want to get hung up too much on that the um where we get uh after that so this isn't totally unrecognized in the world um and and the and the, the result of it again is that you know you have investors who are optimizing making their portfolios more efficient by distributing risk across it um and then imagine and then the mistake is imagining they've eliminated risk from the entire thing so you know this the, this this conflation isn't just affecting people who are creating new products it's also affecting the people investing them and i actually think it's the people investing in them that have more of the responsibility to adjust what's actually going on mm-hmm. um and so uh so now this isn't totally uh, unrecognized, um, and there are a couple structures out there, and I go deep into these into the book as well, that have come up uh, as replacements for you know re- realizing the problem. What are we going to do about it? And the three that I go through in the book are um, effective altruism, social innovation, and um, impact investing. Mm-hmm. Effective altruism is um it's pretty interesting i won't go totally into it now it is is it's simple on the face it's simple on the face of it it is um figure out where your money is going to be most uh do the most good and send all your money there um so this comes out of the sort of new utilitarian school you know if you're walking by peter singer uh philosopher utilitarian philosopher it had came up with this um you know little thought experiment that gets thrown around all the time you're walking by a pool and a baby's drowning in it but you're wearing really nice shoes should you walk into the pool and save the baby it's like of course you should but if you do you'll ruin your shoes right you're very expensive very nice shoes um uh, of course you should go in and save the baby right so he's saying why are you buying ten dollar martinis when you should be giving your money to people starving in, in other countries around the world something along those lines um, and so the effective altruist says, okay, well, let's exam let's examine it, right? How expensive are how how much good are, are my shoes and how much good is going should I buy the shoes or should I give my money somewhere else? Um the thought around this whole thing is like, look, precisely, money is being invested in the wrong ways and into the wrong things for the wrong reasons. So how can we do it better? And what they actually do is they kind of apply the same efficiency thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is my criticism of it. They apply the same efficiency thinking of disruption, the disruption theory of disruption theory, right? So we're going to be, more, if we're more efficient with our dollars, then we're going to be doing the right thing, right? If we're more efficient, then we're going to create more markets and get better growth. So I criticize them on that angle. And the result, I think, as what we've seen is is very much the same that we've got with disruption theory. Grand idea, you know, going to make it more efficient. Therefore, it's going to be better. But you know, falls flat on its face. That's my assessment of it. They're still going, and there'll be ve- the the EA folks will be very mad that I've said that. They'll say you're wrong about all this stuff. And anyway, all right. So th- that's my criticism of it. Is they're essentially using the same logic that got us into this mess. Um, and why would we expect a different result there? Um, I'm going to throw a question at you, though. Oh, please, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So what? ethical dilemmas do you foresee by 2030 let's say you know your book's out you know we know it's going out like in a week here um do you do you address ethical dilemmas in the book also well i mean we're investing in money and and this definition where we're all using our own personal definition of what innovation is versus like the real definition yeah so um I, th- there's this is a slightly broader um, topic, but the concept of the ethical dilemma. So, like, should I use AI technology, or should should I use an LLM for my to write my paper and course in class, or should I not? Right? Should I go into the pool to save the baby or protect my shoes? These sort of dilemma setups and ethics. Um, I actually kind of think structuring ethics as a set of decisions like that. Um, gets us into a lot of problems um it, it it's a the trial you know classic trolley problem should you know you've got should i switch the track and save you know um 
kill five people to save one person or, you know, or, or, or these decisions. So treating ethics in a decision matrix or decision theory or some sort of like, I have to make the correct, the good, the right decision. Mm-hmm. I think that setting it up like that is actually, again, more of the, um, the structure that's got us into the problem of trying to figure out and I sort of mentioned this at the beginning, what's the best decision? Well, let's analyze the whole thing and figure out which one's going to be best and then do that. Of course, you just don't know what's going to be best at, at, at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, anything that you're doing in the lead up to figuring out what's best, the only service it's really providing is it's making you feel more comfortable about the decision that you're making. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so, you know, what are you really doing? Are you figuring out what's best in the world or are you just satisfying your comfort or satisfying your, your insurance policy? <laughs> by, by, hey, because this happens all the time, right? Um, oh, hey, you know, we, we ran all these tests and, and we did all these things and it failed, but you can't sue me because I did all the... <laughs> due diligence right Right. (laughs) um uh it's like what a bonkers way to 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 handle all this um like that and that's the way that they they, that they do handle all right so um so anyways putting in terms of these decisions i think is is ethics is a much more fundamental structure and i think it um is a more fundamental and structural concept that has to do with relations among people in a group rather than a specific decision that one would make uh, one way one way or the other on any given topic. So what is the moral dilemma or the ethical dilemma that we're facing is, well, how do we move away from sort of decision structure to a, a decision um, a decision theory of ethics to a stru- structural understanding of you know, our moral responsibility in any given dynamic? And one of the, and, and so when it comes to technology, what's the dynamic that we're addressing? I, I call it the innovation dynamic. Um, and this is sort of a big part of the book is, is you know, how, how can we, and actually my sort of theory, my tagline, my suggestion is we need to, redistri- we need to um, fairly redistribute risk across the innovation dynamic. Okay, right now, we don't have a fair distribution of risk across the innovation dynamic. Because of things I talked about before, the investors have, right, they have eliminated risk from their portfolio, but not from the dynamic. Where is the risk gone? All into the founders. And the dynamic, I think, is composed of three nodes. I'm getting into the weeds here, but why not? Let's do it. Okay, so um, the dynamic is three factors. Uh, Investors, founders, we've talked about those two. The third one are the service providers or the people who kind of like know how to build the stuff. Um, so I want to build an app. I need to go get money from an investor. I need to pay it to a developer and then I get my, my app, right. Or my, my product or whatever it is. Um, well, you have the investor who's eliminated risk from their books and you have the service provider and they've also eliminated risk from their books. Why? Well, they got paid to build something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have no risk, right? <laughs> they did the work and they got the money. There you go. Boom. Um, so they have no risk. So now, so now you've got the two expert factions of the dynamic, the investors and the service providers saying, I'm not feeling any risk. Let's innovate like crazy, right? Of course, where's all that risk gone? Onto the founders. One of them succeeds, 99% fail, and they fail hard and they fail devastatingly. And, um, and so, and, you know, th- there you go. You have not so so you have this really imbalance of risk and power structures going throughout and what always happens when we have an imbalance of power structures will you end up with exactly kind of the world that we have you know right right now in in a, a kind of unregulated plutocracy <laughs> and, and so where you know a couple of people are going to be very happy but most people are, are not um and they don't have all the fun things where, where they get all the fun things no no um and so why does that come about? Well, because you have an imbalance in the uh, the the ethics of the structure are are broken because you have an imbalance of risk. So how do you re uh, restructure that risk? Um, well, that's the whole thing. Uh, and and uh, the way I think you do it is um, when you're about, so when we evaluate investment rate, and this is where it comes to reframing the investor thesis, when we evaluate investment right now, the main thing that we're looking at is um, how much money is it going to return? What is the ROI on the, on the thing, right? Um, and of course, if, uh, 
if you're going after ROI purely, you should put all your money into drug cartels because you are not going to make any more money than you will investing in selling drugs. To, to you know, <laughs> That's the most money you'll ever make. Um, of course, most people don't think that we really should be doing that. <laughs> and, and yeah, probably, probably you shouldn't be doing that with your money. But, you know, if you're ROI focused, that, that's where you should go. Um, so uh, um, what we... Uh, so, okay, so then what does it, okay, so how should we be thinking about the value of these investments? You know, if it's not going to be ROI, what's it going to be? Um, and just to go back to the effective altruist for a second, right, their ROI is, you know, what's going to create the most good. So uh, now we go to um, the two others just so briefly, social innovation, which uh, which is like, oh, hey, we're going to, build businesses that don't have a focus on getting as much money out like a Google or a Facebook would, we're going to focus our businesses with a goal of like doing good things. So we're going to build good businesses doing good things. Um, and unfortunately in that case, not just to say it quickly, it's relying on the same imbalance structure of, uh, of the innovation dynamic. So no matter what the goal is of the company that you're investing in, um, you're going to get your because the power imbalance of the, the innovation dynamic is so off. You're still going to get failures out of that. So, so effective altruism, social innovation fail um, because they're relying on an already imbalanced um, uh, uh, theory of innovation and unbalanced investment structure. And then you finally have impact investing. And these are things like ESG, uh, corporate social responsibility, uh, governance. Uh, environment, sustainability, and government, uh, even DEI falls into this. The whole idea in impact investing is, well, let's just keep doing the same thing, but let's put these check boxes in place, you know, and this is, this falls into the drug cartel category. Okay. We, if you want to make the most money, you invest in drug cartel, you'll make the most money back, except we have these check boxes that you have to do. Don't, you know, don't invest in something that kills people <laughs> or something, right? Don't uh, make sure that it, it has this, threshold of environmental sustainability make sure the governance structure is structured like this make sure it has a diverse board make sure it has you know whatever it is okay so that's the way you would get rid of the drug cartel on on the uh <laughs> it was it's through this impact investing structure um we are watching that completely fall apart before our eyes right now um so my thought my, my sort of suggestion in the book is that you have these three solutions Effective out to we know disruption theory caused all these problems. We have three solutions to it: effective altruism, impact investing, and um, social innovation. They all fail, so we need to put in and put forth a new structure. And so the new structure is what I suggest in the book. And at the end of the and with the result being that whenever we make investments into companies, we need to be thinking about, you know, does the existence of this company lead to the fair distribution of risk across the innovation dynamic, which is a pretty ethereal concept to kind of, it's not just, oh, am I going to make more money? It's not just, oh, is it going to do more good? It's, is the existence of this company going to create a better risk structure? And then if we look at all the companies that have come up, I think if we look at a Facebook and a Google, they immediately lopside that entire risk structure just in virtue of how they of how they are set up, the businesses that they do, and the way that their technology is distributed. There you go. Where is the book going to be sold? Where can people find it? <laughs> yep. So if you go to Ethics Press, actually, I'm sure that, so I'm not the distributor, right? The, uh, the publisher is the distributor, um, and I'm sure that they're going to have it all over. Amazon and stuff. But if you type, if you do innovation ethics, um, ethics press into Google, here I am criticizing Google and then relying on them to find this book. Um, it should, <laughs> well, it should be with, with everything. I found it. <laughs> ethics press. I found yeah, it. it. Should, yeah, it. there you go. Okay, so it's it's still on pre-order right now. Um, but at any moment that'll switch. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm sure that they'll have it all over. You know. Amazon, you know, they're, the, they're, the, they're the distributors. They'll figure out how to, how to do all that. Got it. Well, so what, um, what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, so I would say 
understand that anything that you're going to do has such a slim chance of succeeding. <laughs> I'll, I'll fall back to some of these. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't hold, don't hold anything in the wings. When you meet an investor or you meet somebody who, no, I, I say investor is somebody who's going to give you money, but it's anybody who's going to give you help. When you meet somebody who's going to give you help, just ask them to help you. <laughs> don't spend weeks coming up with a proposal. Don't put together a pitch deck. You know, just start with, hey, will you help me? And they might say, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> well, then address the address that objection. <laughs> Try to get through it, right? Just get down to it and ask people for what you want. Don't waste all of this time with, you Don't know, be afraid. I'm trying to figure it out. Don't be afraid. Just yeah. ask. Just, just, just ask. That's the, the best thing we can do. Well, how can our listeners contact you? I What I'm giving them is your ideatrek.io website, your LinkedIn profile, the XNO Ethics, and the Instagram Hoover Dow. So is there anything else? Uh, I'd say I'd say LinkedIn is probably for a brand new outreach. LinkedIn is the best. Um, if you're clever, you can find my phone number. It is published publicly. Mm. <laughs> and while they, I do get a lot of people who do call and, and message me on that stuff. So, you know, the likelihood that I respond on the phone is maybe a little lower. So just tell me what you want. And like, like I said before, I'm open and I'll do everything I can to get to it. If you just tell me what you want. Um, and, and so text me if you can find my phone and we'll make this a little of a cicada chat. <laughs> It's not that hard though. <laughs> uh, find my phone number. Um, just text me. Um, but if you want to connect by LinkedIn, that that that's probably you know the probably the most. If you don't feel comfortable texting. Well, Roger, this <laughs> has been delightful. I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I know we're going to have a continued conversation. I'm predicting that your your show will do very well because when you are sharing about your book, it's going to be amazing. And I'm, I'm just so you know, um, I think I told you the wrong date. This show will drop next week on Tuesday. So you can look for it then and it'll be able to help support those book sales. Oh, I can't wait. That's very exciting. I appreciate that. And I'm going to get on my, get on my team to distribute widely and farly and try to win that, uh, win the contest. So, <laughs> uh, and just so our listeners know what he's referring to is that um, whoever has the most downloads by the end of 2023 here uh, on audio, they get to come back to the show as a guest again next year and they can win a first, second or a third place prize. And there's a press release, but it is also the same on our YouTube channel. Whoever has the most views on YouTube uh, comes back also. So not everybody like, you know, those that are hearing impaired can always uh, hear the podcast. So we provide it on YouTube so people can find it. So anyway, um, I'm sure, I'm sure you're, you're very, very passionate in what you've written about. And, uh, I know that you've got a competitor in you, so I'm quite sure I will see you on first, second or third place. And who knows, I've never had them cross over where somebody was first, second and third on both on video as well as audio, but, um, it can happen. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'll only accept one prize. How's that sound? We'll defer okay, so that's here. fair. Yeah, that's fair for everybody else. <laughs> now I have to win because I just, I just, <laughs> you just made it a goal. Yeah. I just made it a goal. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. So we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video production team, video production and editing team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagot, uh, Julissa Hurtado, and our music is by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel. Subscribe today.